It's time again for Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys, three generations, and three hot takes. The triple threat includes baby boomer Ted Patel of Sportsnet Michigan and C92.5 The Castle. Our Gen Xer is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC Network out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And the millennial man is Jared Patel of Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan and Fat Stack Sports. Comments and questions can be sent by email to 3 Pod at gmail.com or hit them up on social media at 3 Pod. The fellows will get it rolling right after this from our partners. Great news to report. Sheridan Realty and Auction Company has built a new 7,500-square-foot warehouse in Owasso. Now we are able to take all of your items and put it underneath one roof. Whether you are able to bring us a vehicle, an ATV, furniture, it goes inside. Go to SheridanAuctionService.com to see more. More importantly, stop down and see us at 1007 South Washington Street. You'll do better with Sheridan. Nelson House Funeral Home's number one goal is to serve the families in our community. They're not tied into an out-of-state corporation or their board of directors. The Nelson House staff are proud to serve our local community with reliability, integrity, and compassion. The top priority is caring for our friends and neighbors, being right there when you need them most. With unique service to represent unique lives in mid-Michigan, ensuring your loved ones receive the honor and celebration they deserve. The business started in 1880 and continues the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine, and New Lothrop. For more details, see them on the web at nelsonhouse.com or call them at 989-723-5234. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your larger, small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. It's time for three-point podcast episode 145 if you can believe it and we want to thank our partners they include Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, Hankard Sportswear, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, Sheridan Auction Service and Z92.5 The Castle. Well, No three-week pause for us, that is for sure, boys. We'll talk a little bit about that here as we go along. I'm the elder statement, Ted Fattel. Middleman Matt Burns is on the phone from North Carolina, and the youngster, Jared Fattel, joins me here in the Three Point Podcast studio. Well, it's official. Both Michigan and MSU suck, along with 2020. In NFL news, Captain Comeback number 9 and Prater do it again for the Lions. Not sure that's a good thing, right, Jared? And the November Masters was a success, despite no real drama. We have a fun podcast for you this week as one of our favorite guests, Reggie Walker, returns for some football talk in a little bit. But first, I want to tell you about Hankard Sportswear. They're the area's go-to clothing and more printing business with many loyal customers. The Hankard Sportswear team prides themselves by giving a good product at a great value, 100% guaranteed to satisfy your expectations. Special items for family, sporting, business, and charity events, along with printing for signs and banners for your upcoming events. That's Hankard Sportswear in downtown Owasso. Give them a call at 989-725-2979 or follow them on Facebook at hankard.com. 
Sportswear. Also another great partner of ours, Advanced Elevator Company. They have the best trained professional field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repair of elevators in the entire Midwest. Centrally located with headquarters in the heart of Owasso, an area business leader and a longtime huge supporter of the Corona Public Schools. And speaking of Corona, taking a little look back at last Friday night, man, we rode the van up to Frankenmuth. You know, we passed on the chicken. We decided we were going to go broadcast a great matchup, Corona and Frankenmuth. Didn't quite turn out that well, did it, Jared? No, it didn't. We I said it on the air, but if, if freezing cold takes uh, evaluated high school uh, broadcasters, we would have been exposed on their Twitter page. It, it just, I don't know. It just, the game was over within a few minutes. Literally, basically, literally as soon as, literally, not a few minutes on the clock, a few minutes in actual time. I don't know. I didn't think Breaking Booth was that much better than Corona. Maybe three, four scores better, but it just was a disappointing game all around. Right. And Matt, I don't know when you I, ch- I don't know when you checked in, but uh, probably couldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, I, I texted you guys at halftime. I tuned in. I think it was early, mid second quarter, and I I couldn't believe it. I could tell right away by your guys' tone <laughs> that wasn't going that it wasn't uh-huh. going that well. And then I think right away. One of the first two plays, Frankenmuth busted off like an 80-yard run or something, and then I was like, "Oh, that's crazy." Hopefully, you know, it's still close. And then I heard the score update, and I was like, "Wait, wait a minute!" And I so, so then I hop on Twitter and start trying to see any updates from the Corona, you know, pages or Argus Press or anything. I'm not seeing it. I'm like, "This might not be pretty." They add on another score or two, and whatever that halftime score was, and you know, it just sounds like. I mean, you guys definitely know better than me. It sounds like. It's one of those days. I mean, maybe that doesn't tell the whole story of the game. You know, the score, maybe Corona just played a bad game. Or I don't know, is Frankie Moo that good? Were they about to make a run to Ford Field? Because, you know, Corona was playing well, right? So yeah. coming into that game, so... Maybe Franken Moose is just that good. You know, I don't know if Jared and I maybe have a little differing of view on that because I, I think Franken Moose is that good. Now, Corona obviously didn't play very good. I thought Franken Moose, I mean, they were really impressive and and just like really well coached, and they ran the triple option basically to perfection. I mean, 350 yards rushing yeah. in the very first uh, half, and they didn't even think about throwing it until they had like a fourth and what? I mean, well, well when those last play right before half, they threw like a right. 50 yard touchdown bomb. Yeah, that was the only play. time they threw the ball. <laughs> but. It, it, you thinking of like speaking of which, just with the three week layoff that the MHSA has kind of came out and said they're going to do. I mean, we all know kind of read the writing on the wall. I think most players and coaches kind of feel the same way too that there's no shot they're playing. Their season's pretty much over. Uh, I will say this is like a team like Frankenmuth. That's that's like basically the worst. That's almost worse than not even playing. I almost feel like the fact that you are poised pretty much for a run to Ford Field and then you just have it ripped right out of your like hands it's different for a team like maybe a martin luther king or a detroit country day or someone that's there every year but a team like a frankenmuth who kind of just has this once in a basically once in a generation like team that they put together there and it just gets squashed in the matter of seconds yeah you're right about that because this was a team that definitely could have stamped their way to ford field and possibly win the state championship in division five and they're not going to get that chance i mean they'll always go down in school history as an undefeated team but it's tough when it's taken away from you and i have I happen to agree with you. There's, you know, the MHSAA had a Zoom call today and, uh, you know, with all the media members that wanted to hop on board and get an update, you know, and and they took the stance that they were going to pause the season for three weeks, kind of following along with Governor Whitmer's edict. Well, they made a conscious move there to not pull the trigger and say we're canceling it. 
they learned a lesson, I think, from the first time around. But I, I happen to agree with you. I don't see that there's any way after three weeks that they're going to play at the end of December or send it into January. There's just no way, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, you, we, we talked about it before we started recording. You, you said you brought up the question of practice time. And I know that this was talked about in college football and NFL, basically every sport, you know, the last couple months. How long are you going to give guys or, you know, the players, whatever sport it is, you know, practice time before they actually start competing? So I just think about, like, mentally, I mean, like you guys just said about a team like Frank and Muth or whoever, anyone who's still alive, you know, they can't go practice. So are they trying to work out on their own, you know, for a few weeks? And then if they were supposed to get back to practice, you have to give them at least at least two weeks, right? I was going to say one week, but really that's not necessarily enough either. So two weeks of practice, now you're getting to the end of December. So, I mean, yeah, it's the MHSA not to just straight up say it's canceled, but, I mean, some of these kids are getting ready for wrestling or, you know, basketball or whatever other sport. So, right, man, it's, it's just a tough situation. Well, it's a tough one, and, and like we've said, Frankenmuth may be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to maybe go to the state finals. I mean, but you have uh, just down the road from here, New Lothrop, who's won a couple of state championships, one under Clint Galvis, and I had a chance to catch up with him. Here's some of his thoughts. So, yeah, we were uh, we were actually together yesterday as a team doing our normal Sunday dinner film and walkthrough session when the news kind of came through. So, you know, of course, we kind of heard rumblings all, uh, you know, day long that something might be coming out, but... I was glad it was at least, you know, together as a team and could kind of address it together. And, you know, at this point, obviously, we're just all trying to stay positive, um, you know, and, and, and hoping that the MHSA and the state can come to come to some kind of agreement here on Wednesday after the meeting and just allow us to finish this thing out. You know, obviously, it's not a whole lot of words to say because we just don't know a whole, a whole lot right now. But, you know, it's something, obviously, we've been, you know, we've been prepared for. I mean, each and every week, we just, you know, we said, hey, this you know, practice like it's your last, this could be your last practice. And then every Friday it was, hey, you know, really, you know, you got to you gotta go into each game believing it's your last because, I mean, especially when teams were starting to shut down around you and you saw this, uh, you saw these, these teams forfeiting. I mean, we it just became more real. And, um, you know, so we treated every game like it was our last. And, you know, hopefully it's not. And, uh, you know, and, and talking to some other people, had we said we were going to, you know, get nine games in and, you know, in the summer, if you said that we were going to play nine games, I, I would have said, um, you know, heck yeah, sign us up. But, uh, you know, now that you're here, of course, you, you really want to finish it out, especially when you think and believe that you got a, a you know, a state title team. So, um, you know, we're just holding out hope, trying to stay positive. But again, you know, we're just, we're kind of all in limbo and waiting just like everyone else. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed and, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, like I said, we get a, get an opportunity to, to, uh, to finish this season. All right. It's, it's always good to hear from Clint, you know, and, and I, I talked to him, he didn't comment on the question, but I did talk to him about the possibility of not even finishing the season, and he said that seems to be the feeling that they have as well. And it's just the one comment he did did throw on the table, which was which I really appreciated, and that's what he has to do, which makes sense. You know, if back in early training camp days when when the season was canceled and then they let him play, if you were going to tell your team, you know, you could get nine games under your belt. You'd probably take it and be be okay with it, and I think yeah. that's the mindset that he has. You know, I also had a chance to catch up with athletic director over at Corona, Jason Beldiga, to get some of his thoughts on the administrative side, on on how he's dealing with uh, the governor's uh, edict. Also, well, certainly it doesn't make uh, the lives of athletic directors and coaches and student athletes and parents any uh, easier in terms of athletics, but. 
Uh, with the number of new cases rising across the state, I don't think the news came as any surprise to any of us uh, that something was going to was going to more than likely come down the pipeline. So um, we have some middle school sports, middle school wrestling, and middle school volleyball that are going on right now. We uh, still have a, a diver that qualified to the state meet that was scheduled for Friday. Uh, so we'll be listening with a keen ear on what the rescheduling is. Uh, with that, tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, excuse me, the MHSA is supposed to uh, talk with athletic directors across the state. So uh, we'll be also listening to see what uh, news comes out of Lansing. But you know, I think we just implore people to do their part, wear their mask, wash their hands, you know, socially distance from those people around us. All the things that we've been hearing since March, uh, it's time for us all to put our money where our mouth is and if we want to get winter sports uh, rolling here and and hopefully be able to wrap up these fall tournaments then i think that we need to all do our part of the, over the course of the next three weeks during this pause in action um as the athletic department we're going to really use this time to push out more initiatives to our coaches in terms of webinars and leadership um opportunities that they can take advantage of we're going to continue to tell our kids you know to keep up on their schoolwork, to get their workouts in as best they can in their own uh, living situations. Our coaches aren't allowed any contact outside of virtual contact over the course of the next three weeks. And then we're going to do the same thing with our kids in terms of leadership opportunities, continue to give those kids leadership opportunities. And when the state says that it is uh, safe for us to return to action and follow the guidelines, and we'll certainly be ready, uh, ready to do that. All right, that's our little local look here at what is going on. And what is going on is, you know, everybody out there, you know, I don't care about your political stance, but come on, mask up. I mean, really, we got to get rid of this thing and we got to take it serious. And uh, that's all there is to it. You know, we got to get back to some kind of normal life. I don't know if you guys want to even comment on that, but I, I had to throw that out there. Yeah, I, I think we've, you know, mentioned it probably a couple times throughout the summer and everything when every different times when things were shut down basically like this i don't know if i would ever want to be in politics in general but right now especially being at the governor level or even you know higher levels than that it would be such a tough time to be in those positions because you're almost like damned if you do damned if you don't type of thing because you're listening to the medical experts you're seeing cases rising you're seeing the positivity rate rising like crazy and you're listening to the medical experts looking at the data and it's like you got to do something to try and get a get a handle on this thing try and get it under control to help your state out and your citizens out but then if you you know put some more restrictions on or shut some stuff down you're going to tick a lot of people off you're going to affect local businesses small businesses parents are going to have to start schooling from home again and stuff like that so it's like man Either way, someone is not going to be happy, and it's just a, a, a really tough time. And it is the type of thing where it's like, yes, the governor's making these decisions, but it does fall on the citizens a lot to try and also do their part. So, so hopefully that happens because, yeah, it's, it's not slowing down at all. Yeah, and I think the thing is that's really getting everybody down is the fact that everybody is down you know this has been very depressing very tough to deal with and now getting hit with another phase that you know they've been predicting for a long time but it's not even like here's the thing it's it, this like lockdown really the only people that are really generally like super affected are obviously the people who have like a job in restaurants and stuff like that people who own restaurants and gyms and well don't short change that i mean small business no i understand that uh, but and and but i would say the majority of michigan 
uh, citizens don't really feel the effects where this is pretty much the similar to exactly the same shutdown we had for pretty much the entire summer until what was it like late June when they finally reopened everything back up and then uh, it was closed obviously just recently but there's that and then there's the high school athletes and the high school students and the teachers and all that stuff that's affected and you know it's it's a small phase of shutdown but do you guys ever think it's going to go back to what it was like right at the start of March when it was basically nothing at all nothing at all was open. It won't happen immediately, but I think we will go back to that. I think once the uh, vaccine is put out there, now I'm hearing all kinds of good things about one company has a 90% uh, effective rate and another company just came out today i forget who it was 95 percent. and when you think about that the regular flu shot is only around 50 yeah. percent. so if they can have that kind of success once they can get the vaccine out there to everybody which is going to be a task in itself i mean the military yeah. is going to have to be involved in that whole thing i think once we get the vaccine i, I think you know it might take a year but i think we're gonna get back fairly normal after that that's my gut feel i don't know i hope so I hope so. Yeah, and it's kind of like at this point, though, what what is like normal anymore? Because I think a lot of jobs have been affected in a in a way that things have changed like forever. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, for me personally at ESPN, I've only found ways to be more efficient and you know positions that can be from home a lot more, and just you know a lot of different things. And a ton of other businesses have probably found. I mean, Ted, I know you said you've, you've been working from home some, might have found, yep. can probably do a lot of your job from home. So Absolutely. I think, you know, as far as like that word normal, hopefully like the normal part is just like stuff being more open. But as far as like going forward, I don't know, masks might be more normal, you know, going forward. More people working from home, smaller schools, maybe even schooling from home will be more normal, like virtual learning for school. So who knows? But yeah, hopefully... And hopefully we just get a handle on this thing sooner rather than later. Yeah, I think we are going to see masks become more of a normal life like it has been in Asian countries. But I guess when I was talking about maybe getting back to normal, I'm talking about sports. You know, this is kind of more of a sports show than a political show. But, you know, we want to see fans in the stands, don't we? I mean, we yeah. somewhere it's going to be a line. long time before we see that, I think. Well, what's your prediction? I don't think maybe next year at this time. Maybe. Okay. I, and probably maybe next like. Not this upcoming spring, but the spring after that when we're out of the winter and we're into kind of like the more of the summer months. So maybe like NBA finals next year. So you don't think – so you think we'll go through this whole football season as it is and then next football season the I think we'll thing. still – yeah, I think we'll still be minimal fans. Like the Masters coming up here in the spring, same thing. Like I think there's not going to be any patrons. Right. Uh, which, yeah. you know, we're not going to talk too much about the Masters because, like you said, it was a little bit of a dud. Yeah. But it definitely felt super affected by the lack of fans. I don't know about you guys, but th- this was probably the least amount of Masters golf that I've watched in my entire life since I've been able to watch golf on TV. Yeah, before we get to Reggie, let's, let's talk little Masters here. Just the fact that uh, you know Dustin Johnson just ran away with the field. There was no drama there. And then with no fans, it definitely felt different. Yeah, and you know we talked about it, again, just something we've talked about early in the summer as far as the fans thing. I feel like we kind of went back and forth on, like, what sports would be most affected. And I feel like we, we kind of, you know, and we totally agree on something, but I think we were all thinking that golf might be the one sport that's not as affected with the no fan thing, but definitely something like the Masters. I mean, you watch just, like, for example, you watch some of the old classic Tiger clips, you know, winning tournaments, even the, the last Masters that he won. You see just the gallery and all the fans and everything, yeah. and that that is such a huge part of golf. I mean, even though you know everyone's quiet during the shots, but 
the reaction the and roar. the energy and everything that the fans bring, it does, you know, it does have an effect. So, yeah, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully by next fall, I feel like maybe by next football season, we start seeing more fans because the NCAA announced today that the NCAA tournament, hopefully in the spring, is going to be at one site. So if they're doing that, you got to think that they're not wanting to fill the stadium yeah. with fans. So. Yeah, I guess, who knows, we'll see. Where's the logical choice, Indianapolis? That's what I saw that they were saying, which, you know, I could see making sense because there's obviously Butler right there. Middle of the country. Middle, yeah, middle of the country. I don't I don't know. Time will tell on that. I, so what, they're essentially going to do a bubble just for the tournament, and they're going to plan on just starting the season as usual, coming up here pretty soon with COVID rising everywhere and, and all that sort of thing. I just don't – just seems kind of backwards to me. seems I, like – I don't know. I do think it's going to be a shortened season, but I guess we'll see. I, don't I, know. I saw today that Michigan State does not even have their full schedule out, and right. the season is supposed to start in a week. Right. Yeah, I think I saw Michigan's first game at least on schedule or like on paper. I think I saw November twenty fifth against Bowling Green. Yeah, I saw as that far too. As like the rest of the schedule, yeah, you, we don't know what the rest of the schedule is going to be. If, if you know the state's kind of restricting things for the next few weeks. You know, who knows how that's going to affect things. So it is just very, very strange right now with with some states being open, some states not. Michigan's putting on more restrictions right now. So it's just it's just crazy. Stay tuned, as they say. Well, we're going to talk some football, specifically with our friend and our expert, Reggie Walker. He's coming up next, but I want to tell you about Rivals Taphouse and Grill. They are the official official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. Keep supporting them by calling your to-go orders. We need to all stay together and support our small businesses, especially restaurants. Rivals Taphouse and Grill in Corona at the corner of M21 and State Road. Also on board, Sheridan Auction Service. They always have a wide variety of items in real estate on the docket. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Nelson House Funeral Homes' top goal is to serve the families in our community. The number one priority is caring for our friends and neighbors and being right there when you need them the most. See them on the web at Nelson-House.com. So what is check under the hood? When, when you tell somebody to go check under the hood, what are you telling them to go do? Well, so many of us are excuse makers. I mean, that's the way that's part of who we are, and it, and it shouldn't be that way. When you see a team struggle, the first thing the fans and the, and the media blame are the players, or they blame the coaches. It's never more evident than the NFL. I always laugh every week when I'll hear someone say, well, they got bad players in the NFL, some team that always struggles. I'm thinking, wait a minute, think about what you just said. There's not a bad player in the NFL. They're NFL players. Same with the coach. You can't say, well, he's a bad coach. Now, maybe they're not coaching well, or maybe the player's not playing well, but that's where I always say, lift under the hood. Never make excuse. When, when I was a coach, I would never let one of my coaches say he's a bad player. I'd warn them and say, say that again, you probably have to leave because that's just, you're making excuses. Now, dig deep and find out why. Every time I've had a team struggle, every time, it's fallen in one of three categories. Number one, there's some trust issue. The players don't trust the coach. The coach don't trust the players or awful when the players don't trust each other. Number two, really think about it. It's called a dysfunctional work environment, Reggie, and that's that, where the expectations are very high, but we don't work hard. I've been there before, Coach. It's, and, and the coach has to be real clear with his team, say, wait a minute, that's going to lead to frustration, anger, disappointment, because we want to win a championship. I got news, guys. We're not working hard. So quit, stop with the yeah. expectations. If your you're, work ethic must exceed or equate your expectations, that's a good environment. And the last one is real obvious. you got a selfish team, man. 
You got problems on your team. Football is a unselfish sport. That means you got to do the nasty. That means I'm a running back. I got to go protect for my quarterback. Yeah. That you don't always get to carry the ball. Sometimes you have to run down a kickoff 22 miles an hour and throw yourself into someone coming 15 miles an hour the other way. That's not fun. Why would you do that? Because you love your team and your teammates. So when you hear mm. LSU, Penn State, Wolverine struggling, stop with the bad players. I, I get sick of hearing that. It's not the players. I don't think it's the coaches. But there's something wrong. Well, I've said it before on Twitter, and I've talked to a bunch of my friends about Urban Meyer as an analyst for Fox. And as a Michigan fan, I just hate it <laughs> because he is spot on with yeah. everything he says. When he does his film breakdowns, it is just so intriguing to me because it's so interesting to see his football mind. And then when he talks about that issue, what, what he's talking about, looking under the hood for teams and schools that are having problems, it's spot on. And as he's sitting there talking, I'm just thinking the whole time, he's talking about Michigan with all three things, the trust issues, the dysfunctional environment, the selfishness. It just seems like he's describing Michigan to a T. So we wanted to play that for you. Before we bring in our friend Reggie Walker, he's been on a bunch of times. If you're a listener, you've heard him a lot talking about college basketball, talking about college football, and, and a bunch of other things. Head over to Twitter and follow him at rwalk13. He's a great follow over there. So we're bringing Reggie in. You played at Penn State, Reggie. You, you played, you know, at a, that's a high-level program in the Big Ten. We all played high school football, so not at the college level. But we understand kind of what Urban Meyer is talking about. What are your thoughts on what he said, the three issues for teams that are just going through these troubles right now? Hey guys, I think he's 100% right. And, and, and let, me, let me give you this, right? And, and we talk about all the time the preparation from a week-to-week standpoint, what teams do, what programs do. One of the main aspects of that is what? Watching film. Uh, and oftentimes they watch themselves on film. Okay, so if you're willing to watch yourself on tape play a game, why can't you watch yourself on tape i.e. look in the mirror and self-scout yourself personally and the way that you're approaching, the way you have to get after getting ready to play games every week. It's the same concept. So I think Urban Meyer is spot on. And, and let me add this uh, to, to that, guys. Uh, I've, I've been around Urban Meyer, and he talks a lot about a lot of intangibles, a lot of things that people can't see right away. If memory serves, a while back he, he, he did an entire show about leadership, and it involved Chris Spielman, I believe, was on the show as well. And what he talked about were those small, little, different aspects that really take a team over the top. You can have all the talent in the world, but if guys around each other are not holding each other accountable and understanding that the the next guy is going to hold me accountable for not living up to the expectations, not of me, of everybody in this program and, the, and, and being uh, a professional, even though these kids are not, you can say whatever you want about that, but approaching it a certain way, that is a factor. So, uh, you know, when I heard Urban Meyer say that, I, I, hit the, I tweeted it and, 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 and feel like that is something that a lot of people don't think about. And you got to remember, guys, think about all this that's going on. A couple of years ago, Jim Harbaugh brings in a transfer in Shea Patterson. Right, and he's got some other quarterbacks already in the program, and, and and some of those guys are kind of aligned, right, with other players on that roster, their friends, their buddies, their roommates, all of those things. And here comes Shea Patterson. You know, all of a sudden now, you, McCaffrey has obviously left the program. You got Joe Milton in there, and I'm not saying that there's a rift between those players, 
But all of those things are aspects, guys, and I think that's part of the problem uh, and, and speaks to what Urban Meyer is talking about within a program. So let's just compare. Obviously, you're a Penn State guy. We're Michigan guys. Uh, James Franklin uh, versus Jim Harbaugh. A lot of people are kind of calling for both their heads uh, this season. Who would you rather have? If you're Penn State, are you happy with Franklin, or would you be okay swapping coaches? Because I think we probably would be. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I think, guys, I, I'll say it this way. I think the problem is, and I would question, to be honest, both of their decisions in terms of coordinator hires this offseason in particular. Uh, listen, I like Josh Gaddis. I don't know that that scheme that he wants to run fits the players that Jim Harbaugh has brought into that program. They, he didn't bring a lot of guys in there to run zone read every other play and do all that kind of stuff. That's not how he was built. If it, and I know you guys remember when he was hired talking about coaching it, and he was asked by his mentors, hey, are you going to have a fullback and are you going to have a tight end? And he said yes. Well, guess what, guys? Spread offenses, zone read principles, they do not, they're generally not conducive to fullbacks mm-hmm. and inline tight ends. Flex tight ends we've seen, but inline tight ends and fullbacks don't generally work in spread type of offenses with zone read principles insert Josh Gaddis with that concept, and it doesn't work. And then on the flip side of it, uh, let me go here on defense. Look, I, I, I don't think Don Brown's a bad coordinator. I think Don Brown needs to not be uh, so hell-bent on doing what he's always done. right? Yeah. We, guys, we talk about all the time how you have to coach to what your players can already do. We hear that all the time. Well, I'm looking at Michigan. I'm not sure that they're coaching to what the players can already do. Don Brown wants to play a lot of man coverage. They don't necessarily, at least in my opinion, have the corners to play that much man coverage. They have some decent corners, but you probably need to play about 70% zone and 30% man, not the other way around, because you don't have those kinds of players. You don't have a dominant pass rusher right now at Michigan to allow you to play man coverage because that guy can get home. Those things you have to understand and adjust to. Winovich is gone, guys. Okay, he's not there anymore. Guys like Donnie Jones are not walking back through that door. So you have to adjust what you want to do to win football games. Yeah, and I think both teams really are are lacking some leadership on the field, especially bringing up Winovich there. I have have a specific question for you, Reggie, just looking at the overall picture of college football, specifically this season. You know, with what we're dealing with, with no fans in the stands, with the uncertainty we had going in and where we're at right now, you know, we got uh, the Big Ten starting late, the Pac-10 even starting later. What do you think the overall effect on the college football game uh, has seen with with this unprecedented time? I think the biggest and most cumulative effect is that you have to have a control of the situation uh, regardless of how much money or resources you have. And what I mean by that is you look around the country at a lot of the non-Power 5 schools, uh, particularly the ones that are in the top 25, top 15, even top 10 Cincinnati right now, and you realize that those programs and those kids have bought in, most of them did not opt out. And I'm not saying opting out is right or wrong, but most of those guys at those smaller schools or, or non-Power 5s did not opt out. Uh, the case numbers, at least as far as we know, are down or lower, and part of that is because a lot of times at those programs, you have a bunch of kids that don't have 
as much, quote-unquote, cachet publicly and feel like they can do whatever they want because they maybe their name is as big or bigger than the program when they got there, right? You look at a kid like Malik Willis at, at Liberty. I know he was a transfer, but he's looking at it going, this is, this is my second chance, and I have to be great. I have to stay in line with what Coach uh, Freeze wants me to do to win games and try to get my shot at the NFL. You look at Coastal Carolina with all the issues in the state of South Carolina in terms of their COVID-19 cases. Coastal Carolina has not had those types of problems, at least publicly known, right? So you start looking at some of these programs and you understand that those players are, are willing and able and have been making all of the sacrifices. And then you look at some of the Power 5 schools and you wonder when guys leave the facility what they're doing away from that. They're also in, on larger campuses with more students, right, which can be conducive to a potential for more spread. One of those non-Power 5 schools, guys, that's had a lot of issues with COVID cases is right here where I live in Charlotte, you know, uh, Charlotte 49ers football program. They've had issues. Well, that's also that school, as much as people don't realize, has one of the largest enrollments in the state. There's a lot of people walking around that campus that may or may not have COVID-19. Harder to, to keep your players away from that. And so I think as we go forward, I think Thanksgiving could be very, very important for some programs because many students are going to go home and a lot of schools are not bringing the, the regular students, if you will, back to campus after Thanksgiving. That could save the back end of this season for a lot of programs within the Power Five guys. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but I think some Michigan fans would be fine if the Wolverines had a little breakout and uh, <laughs> had to cancel the rest of the season because right now, it is just ugly in Ann Arbor, and we, we've talked about it obviously a lot on this podcast and everyone's talking about it. I mean, on national radio shows, national TV shows, and everyone's talking about Jim Harbaugh and whether he should still be the coach at Michigan. And I want to get your thoughts on that, but, you know, I, I'm, still like, I'm still in favor of Harbaugh being the coach at Michigan. That doesn't mean that I'm, like, completely on that side saying he's the best coach Michigan could get. He's one of the best coaches in Big Ten. I'm not, like, that far I just always I've said it on this podcast a few times. I just I just wonder if they could make the wrong hire and send the program just into the tank like they did with Rich Rod and then Hoke. And I wonder like who they could bring in who could be better. Outside of this season, the biggest hurdle has been Ohio State. Otherwise, he's had Michigan back to eight to ten wins and at least in contention for a Big Ten championship. He just can't beat Ohio State. But right now, a lot of teams can't beat Ohio State. So I mean that's not that's not like a huge knock. But like Ted has said many times. You're going to be the head coach at Michigan. You got to figure out how to beat Ohio State at least once every three years or something. So, I guess my, my question for you is like, you know, people throw out Matt Campbell. You brought up Cincinnati. People throw out Luke Fickle. Jared said that he's all in. Pay Luke Fickle basically whatever he wants. And I'm just wondering, like, would these guys come in and be like better than what Jim Harbaugh is doing? And that's that's just my question because right now, I mean, other than this season. Harbaugh has Michigan back to what they traditionally have been just without beating Ohio State. So are we just holding that to a higher standard, or are we saying, like, it just needs to be a change? They're just, you know, maybe Harbaugh has run his course at Michigan. I think it would be too quick to flat-out fire him, especially this year. Uh, this year they start a new they, – they get a new quarterback in Joe Milton. No offseason, essentially, to speak of. I, I think this year is a little bit different. And I know South Carolina ha has moved on from Will Muschamp. I don't think this is the year to be firing coaches. I really don't. Now, while I do realize that everybody's had sort of the same hurdles, 
I still don't think this is the year to be firing coaches. With that being said, guys, and I, and I mean this honestly, and I'm not, I'm not trying to take shots because uh, let me say it this way first. I've heard the same thing about James Franklin, and some people are saying, well, he either needs to go to the college football playoff or he's got to go this year. My response to that is, guys, I, while I respect that, James Franklin has been at Penn State for less than a decade. And I, here's one thing I can tell you. Joe Paterno was there for four and a half decades and only won two national championships. Yes, he had, he had the multiple undefeated seasons. He only won two national championships in 46 years. Okay? <laughs> so some people are saying Harbaugh needs to do that. The last time Michigan won a national championship, let's go before that. The last time they won a Big Ten title, I wasn't even in college yet. So we need to start there. So I think some of it is expectations that need to be tempered in certain places. And what I'm saying to that point is, listen, since 2003, you look at it, Pete Carroll has two, Nick Saban has who knows how many, Dabo Swinney has a couple, Urban Meyer has a couple. Everybody else, they had a one-year rise, whether you're talking about you know, Jimbo Fisher or Les Miles or Ed Ogeron. These are guys that had a one-year rise. So sometimes I think our expectations and our desires – right, as fans of programs, gets a little out of whack because we see what's happening at other places. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no more administration, athletic department, coaching staff, players more in sync in the country than they are in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And the next in that line is in Clemson, South Carolina, outside of Anderson, okay? You don't win multiple championships if the entire group is not on the same page from top to bottom, crossing every I, or crossing every T the same way and dotting every I the same exact way. So some of it goes back to, like you guys mentioned and like we talked about at the top, looking under the hood and evaluating is everybody on the same page. The next piece of that is, do we really think that if we do move away from Jim Harbaugh, in my opinion, guys, I'll put it this way, the only way – you can tell the administration, or I'm sorry, the fan base, for sure, with a new hire that you expect to win national championships, is if Nick Saban walks through that door, or Dabo Sweeney walks through that door, or Pete Carroll comes back from the NFL. That's the only way you're going to be able to look me in my face, or Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. and tell me, we know we're getting ready to play for national championships with this coaching hire. Because historically, it's been almost impossible to do what these guys have done. Yeah. So I'm with you. I think it would be a little premature to, to fire Jim Harbaugh. Now, I will tell him this. I'll tell him flat out. Look, if you're going to remain the coach here, the expectation is at minimum this. You need to win all your non-conference games. And I expect at the least every year, you better every year beat one of the three, Ohio State, Michigan State, or Penn State. You have to win one of those games every year and win everything else. That puts you at nine wins. Then, I'm telling you, most years, I expect you to win two of those games. And every four or five years, you better win all three, because you know what that means? We have a chance to play for a Big Ten championship. That's what I'm asking for if I'm that administration. And, and, if I, and, and guys, to your point, if that one every year is Ohio State, he's probably in good shape. He's probably in good shape. I'll be the first See, to I admit think it. that's the biggest thing to figure out. You've swayed me a little bit. Uh, but I personally need your help. Uh, this upcoming Saturday, Indiana's playing Ohio State. My girlfriend really wants to go Christmas shopping this weekend. <laughs> Is Indiana legit? Is this actually going to be a good game? I think it has a chance to be a good game, and the reason why is because 
uh, on the outside, Wap Fillier and, and, and some of those other guys that Penix Jr. has to throw to, those are bona fide legitimate playmakers. Uh, and this offensive line, I, guys, I never, never on earth thought I would say the Indiana offensive line has some nasty. <laughs> they do, guys. They have some I don't know that they're going to be dominant against Ohio State, but I think they're good enough and nasty enough to score some points. I think Ohio State ultimately outscores them, but I think Indiana's good enough because they have some guys at the skill position and their offensive line is good enough to allow Penix Jr. to get the ball out of his hands and in those guys' hands to allow them to make some plays. We know Ohio State's really good on defense, uh, the, you know, particularly at the cornerback position, but we saw what Jahan Dotson was able to do against them from Penn State. And that was with an offensive line that I, I would argue, if you want to call them mediocre, I think you're being nice. Uh, they have moments of mediocrity, but generally uh, they're inconsistent and, and they're poor in the passing game, which has led to a lot of Sean Clifford's turnovers because he's under pressure a lot. I think Indiana's offensive line is better than that. I think Indiana's offensive line is performing better, and their skill position players are good enough to make some plays against Ohio State. I think I would say anything, guys, and I don't know what the number is off the top of my head. I believe it's 65. I would take the over in this game. How about in the West? I mean, I was impressed by Wisconsin. I was more unimpressed with Michigan, but uh, Wisconsin and Northwestern, is Wisconsin that good? I think Wisconsin is, guys, and, and the main reason why I think so is because their offensive line is what we've generally seen. Mm -hmm. uh, but now, uh, and it started with when they had Jack Cohen in there, uh, once they moved him to, to be the starter a year and some change ago, uh, you could see that all of a sudden they had a playmaker at the quarterback position, a guy that could push the ball down the field and make some plays. Paul Chris, one of the better uh, coordinators uh, and play callers that we know of in the country. But I think the reason why uh, this Wisconsin team – uh, has a chance to be really, really good, guys. Is They're playing really well on defense. Jim Leonard has that group playing hard. They're playing fast. They don't look athletic, but they're faster, uh, I think, than a lot of people realize. And, and then the way they play offense is complementary to the way they want to play defense. They want to run the football, play, go play action on offense, and then get a little bit of a lead. And then on defense, they're going to keep everything in front of them. They're going to make you earn your way down the field to get touchdowns. You're going to have to go 75, 80 yards every time, but it's not going to be in four or five plays. It's going to be 12, 13, 14 plays. Because in their mind, once you get over seven or eight plays, you're going to start pressing and you're going to make a mistake and throw it right to somebody. Or you're going to try to call something that allows you to get a flare flash play and all of a sudden, on a double reverse, you lose 13 yards, and now it's second and 17, second and 22, mm -hmm. and now Wisconsin's defense has you right where they want you. Yeah, I think something that Wisconsin does, especially, I mean, they've been doing it since we were watching Ron Dane run all over everyone, and especially they're doing it with Paul Chris. They know who they are. Like you, you mentioned, maybe Jim Harbaugh and you know Josh Gaddis, they're not necessarily on the same page as far as like guys that they're bringing in as recruits for the offense they want to run and stuff like that. Wisconsin knows who they are. They recruit the offensive linemen they need to run that, that offense. They recruit the, the quarterbacks, the receivers, the running backs that they need to run the system that they want to run. And that's where, like, I just – maybe they're still figuring it out. If they give Gaddis another year, if they give, bring Harbaugh back, maybe they're figuring it out, the right offensive linemen, the right skill players. But, you know, there's value to being a program like Wisconsin. Yeah, they're not racking up national championships like Alabama – in Clemson, but the, you know they're going to be there every year. They're going to be at 8, 9, 10 wins, and when things click, like Mertz, Mertz might be the quarterback to really make things click for them, 
they're going to be in national championship contention. I wish, you know, some fans, and we've all had unrealistic expectations when Harbaugh came in, we all thought he was going to turn Michigan into Alabama. You know, I can admit that. But I wish maybe some fans would alter their expectations to say, if we're going to turn into a program, be back to where Michigan was, where basically like where Wisconsin is. We're always there at the 8-10 win mark, and then hopefully every few years it all clicks and we're actually in national championship contention because there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that, right? People want to always be, we want our program to be Alabama. We want our program to be Clemson. Mm-hmm. We want our program to be Ohio State. But to be honest, that's just unrealistic expectations, right? Well, there's only going to be one or two of those at a time. That, that's part of the problem. And so, you know, when someone ascends, someone has to descend, right? And if you look at it in the Big Ten, if Penn State or Michigan is going to ascend, Ohio State has to descend, period. And they have not shown any signs of that right now. And getting back to the point of, of what Michigan is, guys, and identity, remember Michigan is big, physical, nasty offensive linemen, guys like Tyrone Wheatley, Anthony Thomas, Chris Perry, just physical specimens at the running back position that you, you had to make a business decision not to tackle those guys. Even Mike Hart, who was considered a smaller back, considering what they had before him, was a physical runner in his style. We don't see that at Michigan. We haven't seen that in five or six or seven years. And I think until they get back to that consistently, they've had guys that flash. But I think until they get back to that offensive line that just you walk into a room and you see those guys get off, you know, come out of the bus, and walk into the hotel and you go, oh, man, I don't want to deal with trying to play the play yeah. two gap against that guard. I, I'm not, I don't want to be the nose tackle against that center. <laughs> I, I want no part of that group. And right now, I just don't see that nasty on tape, guys. I have something, uh, just a question for you specifically, Reggie. Uh, you're a, an analyst for the Charlotte 49ers. What's it been like calling games this season without anybody in the stands? It's the weirdest thing, man. It, yeah. Because there's no it, – it's funny. It feels like a spring game. There's no energy. Uh, there's no life inside mm-hmm. the stadium. It it almost feels like you're there for glorified practice, right? And, yeah. And, and so it's it's very awkward. It, it's 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 you know the atmosphere isn't there. The crowd isn't there. The you know the the you know because teams use that on third down. They need the crowd noise, the communication, and and it's funny because you can hear so much of the communication on the field that so many coaches actually I can tell you from you know, having those same kind of coaches being around them the previous year, their audible calls are different. Now they're one-word calls because if you say too many words, the other team can pick up on it very, very easily. So I think two things to, to, to keep an eye on are the communication or, uh, you know, lack of, of deceit, right, uh, uh, by an offense against a defense. And, and, and then the last part of it is just the atmosphere and the energy in, inside of a stadium is not there. Are you are you traveling or are you calling the away games from the home uh, press box? Only home games right now. Um, a lot of places are just not even taking a crew on the road unless it's just radio guys. Uh, and then one of the deals I have with, with Gardner-Webb, which is an FCS-level program, they haven't played a game at all. Uh, their oh. conference shut them down. And, and uh, some of the teams in, in the FCS level have played a couple non-conference games, but, but they are not playing any games at all. Biggest surprise in college football, Liberty, and is Hugh Freeze going to South Carolina? I think Liberty is one of the biggest surprises in college football. I, I, for me, 
my biggest surprise right now is Marshall. I didn't think Marshall would be this good. Mm-hmm. Um, it just so happens it's 50 years after the big plane crash, uh, which is in and of itself uh, a whole different concept to look at where that program has been uh, over time, a program that I, I actually looked at playing for uh, coming out of high school also. So, you, you, to me, I think the biggest surprise is Marshall. Uh, one of the constants, I'm not surprised that they're as good as they are Cincinnati. I, I still don't think, guys, that they're going to climb higher than number seven in the country unless everybody in front of them starts losing two or three games. I think they're at their ceiling in terms of rankings, and they will not get in the playoff. But to that point, I think what Hugh Freeze is doing uh, at Liberty is, is remarkable. Uh, that he, We've known that Hugh Freeze can coach them up. We've known that Hugh Freeze's offense will, offenses will score points. As, as to whether he ends up at South Carolina, guys, honestly, if I'm him, the first thing I'm asking that administration is, what are your realistic expectations of this program on a consistent basis? And, and if the answer is not, uh, you know, that falls in, in, in the, you know, Coach Freeze's wheelhouse, then there's no reason uh, to take that job. The other part of it is how fractured are the relationships uh, between the high school coaches and high school players in that state and the University of South Carolina. A lot of the best players, they just don't go there. Yeah. Uh, and to me, I think that's a major red flag for any coach going there. Uh, if I'm Hugh Freeze, I probably think twice, maybe even three times before I take that job. But I think uh, he may end up taking that job. But if I were him, I would not take that job. I would wait another year and, and probably find myself in a better situation than the SEC. Yeah, it'd be tough right now to take the job at South Carolina, given the rest of the SEC, obviously Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M. Who knows what Lane Kiffin's going to do at Ole Miss. And, oh, yeah, you're in the same state as Clemson. So when you're recruiting those kids in South Carolina, Dabo Sweeney has probably given them a call, too. So that, that's a lot. I mean, that, that was, that's, a, that's a big job. It's a high-marquee job at South Carolina. But you got a lot to deal with if you want that. I mean, Will Muschamp is a solid coach, and he didn't even cut it. So, so yeah, that, I'd be curious to see if Freeze goes there. We're going to get you out of here, but i got to ask you one more question about Penn State. I just, you know, you're a Penn State guy. You played there. So I've got to get your feelings a little more on James Franklin. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I think he's, he's a good coach. Penn State has always been a school in the Big Ten. You know, I, I'm not like a huge fan of Penn State, but I don't dislike them like I do Michigan State or Ohio State. You know, I've you know, enjoyed Penn State football. But the one thing that I, it's just like almost a head-scratcher is how really outside of one season, James Franklin's been as good or really – in some cases worse than Jim Harbaugh. He has a lot of the same struggles. He's competed with Ohio State, but that one season, they put it all together. Oddly enough, that was the season that Michigan also beat him by 30 at the big house. But why don't we hear things about James Franklin's job? Is it the expectations you were talking about? Maybe the expectations for James Franklin aren't as high as what they were for Jim Harbaugh coming in? Or is it because he's got the one Big Ten championship? He has beaten Ohio State. So it's almost like he got that one, so that gave him a longer leash. Like, why do you think James Franklin right now, everyone, all the national shows aren't calling for his head like they are Jim Harbaugh? I think it's a few things. I think the two things that you just mentioned are part of it. I think the other piece of it is where the program was when he took it over. Everything that that happened there and and all of the sort of, obviously the legal issues and and the, the, the previous, you know, all of that stuff was a major factor and why he is, I think, gets a little bit longer of a leash. And then I think the other part is just the history of the school, guys. Think about it. When you have one coach for 40-plus years, and then they go to Bill O'Brien and he bolts after three years, they're looking for someone with long-term stability. James is from Pennsylvania. 
He, by all accounts, has always wanted to coach there. Uh, he's had some success. He's continuing to recruit fairly well some of the best players in the state. You think about it, uh, a kid like Lamont Wade out of Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, was one of the top 10 or 15 recruits, I think, in the country, obviously one of the top one or two in the state of, of Pennsylvania. He went to Penn State. Micah Parsons arguably was the, was the number one player in the country coming out of high school from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. They got him to stay home. So James Franklin is, is winning in a lot of ways that they need him to do that people use against you. Historically, he's found a way at times to beat Ohio State. He's at times beat Michigan. He's at times, most of the time, beat Michigan State. So he's winning enough against his rivals. He's keeping kids at home. The stadium is generally full. He has a Big Ten championship. And Penn State is much like the Pittsburgh Steelers, guys. They don't go through coaches very fast. And so you start to add all those things. Think about it. In our lifetimes, right, and just us on this phone, we can't believe that there have been three coaches at Penn State in the last 15 years. That's unheard of. Yeah, they've only had five in about 65 years. You're including me in that Bengals lifetime, was there too. before Joe Paterno. So you're talking about four or five coaches since World War II. That's unheard of. And so I think that's part of what gives James Franklin some of that leeway is they want the stability and the continuity of keeping the same coach around. Now, with that being said, I'm, I, it doesn't, at least to me right now, and, and I, I need to have this conversation with him, but I – I look at this offense right now. This does not look like the same offense that Kirk Soroka ran at, at Minnesota. It looks a lot more like the same offense that Penn State's been running the last few years. So I wonder if they brought in Kirk to run James's offense instead of bringing in Kirk to run his own offense. And so I, that's a question I have. But, but, guys, I think at the end of the day, you know, those aspects I mentioned earlier I think are what's keeping James Franklin safe from a job standpoint at Penn State, and I think the biggest one is the stability and, and them not wanting to change coaches on a regular basis. No, you're probably right. Ted, you've seen more than the three coaches, though, at Penn State, right? Oh, I go back to World War One. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, you know, your, your point there, I mean, yeah, it, it, you don't see the turnover at Penn State as much, and maybe they, they do give their coaches a little longer leash. It seems like Michigan, I, I don't know, I'll be very curious to see what they do because Harbaugh's contract is coming up, and this is a weird year. They're not going to give him an extension when they're in the middle of a pandemic and you know losing money because some sports aren't being played. They're laying people off at the school. So Michigan's just in a really weird spot right now. So I'll be curious to see how the rest of the season plays out. Hopefully, hopefully they uh, win some games, and hopefully that Penn State game isn't just a glorified pillow fight, right? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. The, the good thing for Michigan fans going into that one is you know you already have at least one win. We, don't, we can't say the same. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that win against Minnesota, while I'll take it at this point, doesn't look as impressive as it did when it happened. So, yeah, we'll see how the season shakes out. But, Reggie, we really appreciate you coming on. Love talking to you. I feel like we could probably keep going for another hour if you were talking about football, especially Big Ten football. So give our listeners uh, a little plug where they can follow you, where they can find your stuff, and let them know where you're at. Absolutely, guys. Find me on Twitter at rwalk13, R-W-A-L-K-13. Uh, always a pleasure, guys. Keep doing your thing. Love the three-point pod. Hold it down. 
Awesome stuff, as always, from Reggie. He really knows his stuff, and we always enjoy talking with him. We're going to get into some Lions talk here in just a moment, but I want to tell you about Hankard Sportswear. They're the area's top clothing and more printing business, located in the heart of Owasso at 116 West Exchange Street. Follow them on Facebook at Hankard.Sportswear. Also, thecoronaconnection.com. They know it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at coronaconnection.com. An advanced elevator company, they have expert field technicians for troubleshooting, repair, and installation of elevators, an area business leader, and a longtime huge supporter of the Corona Public Schools. Well, Jared, I know you're not too excited about the Lions' victory, are you? No, it was such an ultimate loss for Lions fans, and I see people like celebrating, like, and we, and it feels like we're almost in like Groundhog's Day with this season. The Lions lose a game that they probably should win. Then they win a game that they probably shouldn't, and we just go back and forth, and we talk about how you know they should probably be losing right now, but guys like you, just anytime they can get a Lions W, they love it, even though it just means that they're going to spend their entire life searching for a championship that they're never going to uh, achieve because every year is just a 6-10 and 10 to 8-8 eight and eight season, uh, maybe a 9-6 and six one here or there. But the thing that – or 9-7, and seven, excuse me. The thing that was really disappointing me on Sunday is, as we've mentioned a couple weeks ago, Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, the guy is three and zero. He's lighting it up. Five touchdowns, zero interceptions. Calm as and we're be. sitting here just spinning our tires, talking about how it's probably the end of the road for Matt Stafford. And I guess we're just gonna hit the reset button uh, this upcoming draft. It's just, it's just depressing. Yeah, Matt Prater, I love him. Great guy. Cappy made the kick, but I mean, what are we even doing? The Lions basically looked horrible in a win, which is. Some of they do a lot. Yeah, they almost gave that one way uh, for sure. Uh, but I was I enjoyed watching the end. I was rooting for the Lions to come back. I knew when they had you know twenty seconds or sixteen seconds, whatever it was, Stafford had a chance, and by God, he did it again. You know, between him and Prater, I mean, it, it, I don't know. You can't say enough about Matt Stafford and what he has done for that organization, and he's going to end up with nothing to show for it, which is sad. Yeah, it's a shame that we're basically watching another at least for the Lions, another all-time great. You know, it started with Barry Sanders and then Calvin Johnson and now maybe Matt Stafford basically being wasted away in Detroit. And, you know, I I know I've said it before, like I'll, I'll always be happy whenever I see the Lions win just because it happens so rarely, I guess. But I'm definitely still on the side. I don't. I think we all are. That I don't think Matt Patricia is a very good head coach going forward, but – they're only a game out of the wild card position. Like as crazy as that is, they're only a game out of the wild card. So it's like they they play Panthers, Texans on Thanksgiving, and then the Bears after that. So three, you know, on paper winnable games. And it's like if they can like you know get on a little roll and and make the playoffs, I will always. That's another thing. I will always be happy if the Lions can make the playoffs, just yeah. because it happens so rarely. So. But but that's the thing. Is it smoke and mirrors? Like if they even if they do make the playoffs, I still kind of feel the same way. I don't think Matt Patricia is a very good head coach, and you would think if they make the playoffs, then that's going to save his job. So yeah, it's such a weird spot because I'm with you, Jared. They're they're like what we said, like with the Pistons. They're just always muddling around in the middle, never getting a high draft pick, and not obviously being like an actual threat in the playoffs. So it kind of feels like that's maybe what the Lions are doing this year. But I don't know. It was a, it was. It was fun to watch, I guess, I, just because I'm such a big Stafford fan, probably. Yeah, Stafford really came up big, and it was kind of nice to see them give Swift the start and yep, have a big really game. Really good, yep. He looks, looked like an NFL running any, back. Yeah, anytime that our draft picks look good, I, I'm always going to be a fan of it. The thing that makes me a little bit 
I don't know, apprehensive isn't the right word, is just the fact that it's the Lions. I mean, you, you, Matt, you're sitting here, you're painting out this, you know, it sounds good on paper. I'm not going to lie. It really does. The Texans, the Bears, uh, the Panthers, a lot of bad teams ahead of us. But really, at the end of the day, like we don't want Patricia back. Clearly, Zach Zenner, who felt the need to tweet out, you know, his thoughts on Matt Patricia. Dude, he cut you. I know you want to get back in the NFL and you'll do basically anything to get back on a roster, but... We don't need your thoughts on the Matt Patricia issue. Clearly, no one likes him. It's no surprise that you kind of seem like this nerdy little like white running back. That you're the one guy that kind of sticks up for him. Just shut up. Just you know, we didn't really like you on the Lions anyway. You weren't any good, so we don't really need your opinion necessarily. Not that I'm saying like I mean, obviously he's a former player. We do kind of need his opinions, but I don't know. Just something about Zach Snyder that really set me off a little bit. I don't know. It's just the Lions suck. What? Matt, you get me. You're getting me a little bit of excited about the potential of a playoff game, but I mean, why am I even getting excited right now? Hell, I just want my big bucks from uh, the the casino. That's all I want. That's Seven the wins. Big part. That's the big part. I want to rub <laughs> that in Jared's face. I do want to say this though. I, I I'm with you both. You know that uh, Patricia. I still don't think he's a guy. Even if they he, they come somehow squeezing the playoffs, I'm not sold on him by any stretch of the imagination. And you know. We've heard people talking about Urban Meyer coming to Michigan. That's never going to happen. He's not going to coach the Wolverines no matter what. But is it really that far out of yes, the realm yes. to come to Detroit? Yes. Really? For mega money, run an NFL franchise. He's never never coached the NFL just to get that taste of it. Doesn't have to do any recruiting. It's all football. I mean, from what he said in that breakdown you heard earlier, the guy knows his stuff. I mean, I just got a gut feel. Maybe maybe you're right, but I think if Urban Meyer wants to take one more crack at coaching, he has nothing to lose if he came to Detroit. Nothing at all to lose. That's my thought. Why not? I mean, his, his like, I guess his legacy as being one of the greatest coaches ever in college football is set. So, I mean, that, that even if he went to the Lions for two or three years and only won a handful of games, he would still be looked at as one of the greatest college football coaches ever. But, you know, like, does he want to deal with that? I mean, the money thing, yeah, obviously that's always going to intrigue some people, but I don't think he's, like, hurting for money. And, you know, people talk about analysts, whether it's a former player or a former coach or whatever. The sitting behind a desk and just getting to talk about football is is a lot more – it's a lot easier than having to deal with being a coach. Like, I'm sure that fire is still in there. Sometimes he probably wants to get back on the sidelines, but it's a pretty cushy job to just get paid to go talk about, you know, college football and stuff like that for Fox. So I would just, and it's not like we, we talk about a lot, the, the dysfunction of the Lions franchise. I would just be surprised if, if he did want to come to the NFL, if it'd be for the Lions. Well, that's the negative, the, the Lions dysfunctional way that they do business. But let me just throw it on the table one more time, and I see where you guys are coming from. But if he does have the itch, and if he comes into the NFL and gets Belichick kind of money, right? I mean, he'd have to 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 make that move. I think, isn't that a isn't that a perfect situation? A Midwest guy here, and and he'd be he'd be crowned the king of all time coaches for what he did in college football if he could turn that Lions franchise around in any shape or form. I mean, to me, I just think. It may be wishful thinking, but yeah, it'd be I, a good it'd be a good move. You're also yeah, you're you're kind of the king of wishful thinking. Remember when like <laughs> your big time plan for like the new Lions hire like a year or two ago was like Bill Belichick? 
somehow luring Bill Belichick away from the Patriots. It's called thinking out of the box. So for the listeners, that's just important to kind of throw that out there in terms of context (laughs) on where this guy's brain is at a lot. You you think the Lions like just get any? No, Urban Meyer is not coming to coach the Lions. Well, there is no there is no. He has his pick of team. If he wants to come coach in the NFL, he has his pick of about the ten cellar dweller teams in the NFL to pick from. He's not picking the Lions, which are the worst franchise in the entire NFL. Not only now, but in history. Same thing with like people are saying like, oh, like Michigan, like maybe he'll come coach Michigan. Like, no, he's not coming to Michigan. He hates Michigan. He doesn't even say the name team Michigan in ever. So he's not going there. He's not going to Lions. Might as well just move on. I guess Patricia's the best we can get for now. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll just leave it there. I mean, the Lions, we'll be watching them on Thanksgiving. That's for sure. But uh, I don't know. We'll we'll see what goes down the pike, but none of us are sold on Patricia. Let's just call this a podcast, guys. Call it a wrap. Follow us. Let our partners know you listen in. They include Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, Hankard Sportswear, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, Sheridan Auction Service, and Z92.5 The Castle. For Jared Fattel and Matt Burns, I'm Ted Fattel, thanking you again for supporting Three Point Podcast and, yes, mask up. Three Point Podcast is syndicated worldwide on Sports Radio Detroit and MWSN Radio. The show is a Sportsnet Michigan production recorded at the WJSZ Mid-Michigan Studios. Spread the word to your friends and family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or any of the other big podcast hosting sites. Comments and questions can be sent via social media at 3PointPod or by email to 3PointPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now.